The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Take my rifle, this is my gun. Firearms Friday. Firearms of Friday. Hello, my friends. Are you ready for this? The most beautiful day of the week. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't matter what the weather looks like. It's the most beautiful day of the week. We get a chance to hang out and talk about what I think is one of the most fundamental, important rights in our nation, the right to keep and bear arms. It is Firearms Friday. And uh, good morning to you. Uh, are you. Are you ready? Are you ready for... Another beautiful, beautiful day. We got a we got a jam packed show for you today. We are going to um, uh, we're going to be chit chatting today about again some of our favorite topics and some of the hottest news stories from around the country in regards to the Second Amendment and gun laws and two way stuff and everything else. Uh, but more importantly, we get to be joined by one of my favorite uh, writers, uh, Jacob Solom, senior editor for Reason Magazine, nationally syndicated columnist, award-winning journalist, is going to be joining us in just a few moments to be talking with us about, uh, he'd be talking to us about uh, many different things. Specifically, though, we're going to dive into his uh, articles uh, recently written about uh, Hunter Biden's gun charges. Uh, We're going to talk about the New Mexico uh, governor, and her political faux pas, which I think is still going to have ramifications, and some of his most recent writing about the decision by the uh, federal judge in the Fifth Circuit Court, uh, that would be uh, Roger Benitez, who is, uh, this guy is my hero, man. Roger Benitez is just, he's been dealing with the uh, large capacity magazine, magazine ban and other issues in the state of California. And he has been striking down California's attempts to limit their citizens' right to keep and bear arms left and right. Um, He uh, actually put the restrictions um, and put a stay on the California Magazine ban back in 2017. Um, And it is, uh, it's been a fight ever since. Brune threw down that decision after uh, Benitez was overturned by an en banc panel of the, uh, of the court. And, uh, it's, I mean, this is, uh, this is ninth circuit. Not, I, did I say fifth circuit earlier? I apologize. I meant ninth circuit, the ninth circus court of appeals. Uh, anyway, so we're going to talk with Jacob about that and many other stories that uh, regarding firearms, the fact that tr- tr- Trump almost got in trouble <clears throat> for, <laughs> because one of his press secretaries was like, President wants to buy a Glock in South Carolina, uh, but unfortunately, since he is under indictment, 
There is a law that says if you're under indictment for a crime that's punishable by up to by more than a year, it's illegal for you to receive a fire. I mean, it's just some ridiculous stuff going on out there. Anyway, we're going to talk about all that. Uh, we're going to talk about all that and more with Jacob Sullum uh, from Reason Magazine here in uh, in hour two. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to, going to be interesting to discuss and talk about that. I'm pretty pretty excited about it. Um, I guess I, I will throw this news out there. Um, it's, you know, sad news for some people and, uh, uh, you know, you got to feel for folks, uh, breaking news uh, late last night, Diane Feinstein, uh, died 90 years old, 90 years old, the oldest member of Congress, 90 years old. She passed away last night. Um, uh, and, uh, while I mean, again, 90 and still in office. This geritocracy that we've got between her and uh, uh, Pelosi and, you know, Biden, everybody here, octogenarians and more <clears throat> in there, you know, die, just it, anyway, it's, you know, sad for her family, uh, sad for her family. And, uh, you know, my thoughts uh, go out. But again, 90, I guess she had a good run. She had a good run. Uh I'd be happy if I hit 90 at this point. Um, all right. Uh, and oh, I'm sorry. I was, was talking. Jacob Sellum, this hour. Next hour, we're going to do a lot of open line Q&A, phone calls, discussions, chit chat. And then we're going to finish up the show as normal with uh, our friend Willie Waffle from WaffleMovies.com, where we're going to talk about uh, all the news that's fit to print. Uh, all the all the streaming and the 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 streaming and the movies and the entertainment news and everything else. So that's the that's the sh that's it for that's the whole show today. Thanks for coming in. We're leaving. Uh, all right. Uh, let me get to a couple stories here before we go too much further into the weeds on this. I want to talk about um, oh a couple different problems. Uh, the biggest problem that we're seeing right now, and this is something that we've talked about before, uh, when there are, uh, restrictions, people are starting to wake up to this. Um, <clears throat> the issue with, uh, the gun restrictions that we're seeing coming out in places like California in New York post Brune, right? Was this idea that, oh, sure. You can carry. The Supreme Court now has said that, you know, we, we, you know, we have to issue you a permit or we have to allow you to conceal carry. But <clears throat> we're going to say that you can't you can only conceal carry in certain spaces and that there are other places that are off limits. And they create this patchwork, this legal patchwork of places where you can go and uh, places where you can't. And it's uh, it's it's troubling. Because it creates a real conundrum for, you know, for a lot of uh, gun owners who are trying to obey the law. They're doing their best to obey the law, but it can be confusing. You know, you're fine on one side of the street, but the second you cross over to the other side of the street, now you're breaking the law. Um, you know, you're fine in one building based on. Uh, you know, ownership or type of building or business that's involved, but you go right next door and you're not. 
it's very, very confusing for a lot of people. That's the first problem with a lot of these kind of patchwork laws. I mean, I guess the first problem is, is that they're very obviously trying to punish lawful gun owners for daring to try and exercise their rights. That's the first problem. Because we all know, I mean, even uh, Grisham Lujan, uh, Lujan Grisham down in, in New Mexico admitted that her emergency gun or, uh, order would have no effect on criminals. So, I mean, the politicians know that what they're doing will have no effect on criminals because, wait for it, criminals, by their very definition, break the law, right? I mean, that's why we call them criminals. So the fact that you have legal law-abiding citizens who are doing their best and attempting to obey the law is is just, it's just a, a pile of ridiculousness that they're going to make, again, lawful people try and jump through all these loopholes to make it happen. So that's the first thing, making it more confusing and making it more dangerous for people to simply exercise a right uh, that they may have to get entangled with the state if they do something incorrectly. That's the first thing. But see, it also leads to a second problem. And we've talked about that here in the state of Alaska uh, in the past uh, because of some of the issues that uh, were up originally when Alaska first became a concealed carry state, there were some serious issues with some of those laws, and it had to do with some of the places that you could not legally carry. Um, in the wake of the Bruin decision, says Tom Knightington over at Bearing Arms, uh, numerous states passed, uh, started passing new conce- uh, concealed carry restrictions. They took the Supreme Court's comments about sensitive places and decided that just about everywhere was a sensitive place. Sure, the court warned them not to do that, but since the law just effectively makes everything sensitive but doesn't do it explicitly, they figured they can get away with it. And, of course, New York, California, Maryland, all these places have got something like that going on. South Carolina isn't one of those states, though, which is relevant only because of what's going on in Columbia, South Carolina. You see, officials there are asking gun owners to be a lot more careful with their firearms because it's become a bit of an issue. Over the past few weeks, Richland County has had a series of violent gun-related crimes that sadly resulted in people being killed. According to law enforcement, many of these types of crimes are committed with illegal or stolen guns. Just days ago, there was reported the uh, there uh, there was reported about a hundred car break-ins in Columbia at three separate apartment complexes. So apparently, a crew is running around to these big apartment complexes where people's vehicles are all parked together, and they break in to these vehicles. Now, no specific firearms were stolen. Uh, or reported stolen at these, but it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Um, uh, I'm er, er, Irmo, Irm, Irmo, and a police lieutenant, Andrea Grinstead, said people who cannot legally possess or purchase a firearm will go through these cars, sometimes by force, but most of the time they're just shaking door handles to see if they left their vehicle unlocked and whatever firearm you leave in there, they're going to take. And see, this is part of the problem. Here in Alaska, originally, it was illegal for you to carry a concealed weapon into a bank, for example. Um, And so I often opined at the time that if I was a criminal and I was familiar with the law and I really wanted a firearm, I'd just park in a bank parking lot. 
And I'd watch everybody as they pulled up and I'd watch their movements and watch what they were doing. Because if you are a lawful law-abiding citizen and you're trying to obey the law and you are carrying concealed, when you pull up to the bank, you're going to go through the machinations of trying to disarm yourself, stow your firearm somewhere in the vehicle. And if somebody's close enough and watching you closely, those are the kind of movements that can be discerned, right? You could see somebody reach behind their waistband and pull something out and then go and then bend over and put it under the seat or put it in a center console. You can watch those things. And if you are, you know, and if you are desperate for, you know, wanting to get your hands on an illegal firearm, there's a great way to do it. This is part of the problem. If they make it so difficult for people to defend themselves that one, in the example of all these many safe spaces, People can't understand the law or it's so convoluted that they run afoul. And some people get so frustrated, they just don't even bother to carry because they don't want to break the law and get it prosecuted because they will zealously prosecute you in places like New York and California. But secondly, if they are trying to comply with the law and you're in a vehicle and you're trying to do it and you don't want to spend the extra money to put a, a locking box and all these other things, which is several hundred dollars to really do it right. Then you'll just slide it under the seat or put it in the center console, and you are now opening yourself up to being a targeted victim of crime and having your firearm taken to be used in a crime. It, it's, it's, a, it's a horrific thing. This is the unintended consequences of those kind of actions. What these, what these you know, uh, politicians are you know, ostensibly trying to stop is more crime and more gun violence, but by punishing the citizens and creating all these sensitive spaces and all this stuff, they've increased the opportunity for criminals to go in and take advantage of those law-abiding citizens who are trying to do the right thing and disarm themselves going into these zones, but having to leave them in a place that's not as secure as their home gun safe. So do they really care about public safety or is it really about the control? I mean, that's, that's my that's my big question there. Is that what it's about? All right, uh, we got to go. Jacob Sellum from Reason Magazine up next. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Uh, let me... Oof. So many buttons. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. A little bit of rain where Brian's at, up north of me. It wasn't raining here uh, about an hour ago. Um, uh, it was... Uh, the last time I went out was about an hour ago. Uh, and it wasn't raining here, but it was a little bit warmer, cloudy. That was nice. Yesterday, it was like 29 degrees or something here. A little frosty. A little frosty. Um, how many people actually work for Reason, says Brian? I don't know. They got a bunch of people that I follow uh, and that I love to have on. Jacob Sullum, Eric Bame, um, J.D. Tuchilli, obviously, Emma Camp. We've had all of them on the program. Who else have we had on the program? We never had Nick Gillespie on the program. I'd love to have Nick Gillespie on the program sometime. Uh, Matt Walsh, 
we had Matt Walsh on the program several years ago. Um, and of course, uh, Matt, Ki- uh, Matt Kibbe, uh, he used to work for reason. He used to do some stuff for reason. He's got the free the people thing now though, but yeah, they got a bunch of great writers at, uh, at reason. I mean, again, it's my go-to place every day. I'm checking it. I, I've subscribed to the newsletters. I get the email updates. If you want great, I mean, and again, I don't agree with everything that they write, but it's always just so good and balanced and has lots of good, you know, it's. So I don't know how many people work for a reason, Brian, but I imagine it's a bunch. I think they've got at least a dozen different writers that I see. Plus they have guest writers that come in all the time and they republish certain things. Uh, it's a, it's a great, it's a great, uh, uh, publication. I used to get it in, in print as well, but my wife's like, you've got all these reason magazines sitting in the bathroom here, sitting in the thing. I'm like, that's my reading room. You know, I just, just she's like, just, you read it on your phone anyway. All right, fine. Thanks, hon. I appreciate it. So anyway, great stuff over there, Brian. Uh, maybe we'll ask, I see that, uh, I see that Jacob's popped into the green room. So maybe we'll ask Jacob how many, how many writers and people are there at Reason. But they got a bunch. They got a bunch. They have a lot of good stuff. And I'll be honest with you, their video team now um, is doing some amazing work. They put out some great docu. They'd have one on psychedelics here that they just had with, uh, with Gillespie here about a month ago. And, and like a month before that, they had the homelessness one, which we, we talked about here on the program. There are some great, they've got some great stories out there. All right. Um, uh, nothing else here is jumping right out at me. So let's get over here. Um, let's get over here and uh, get uh, Jacob on board and make sure that we uh, got audio and video and uh, we're live in stereo and everything else that we need to be doing. And there he is, Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine. Hello, my friend. How are you? All right. How are you? I'm doing good. You are a busy man. You are a busy, busy guy. I'm glad that uh, we were able to finally hook up, and I appreciate you taking the time out. I know how busy you are uh, for coming on board, but I appreciate you being part of it today. Sure. How many? Uh, how many? How many writers are there at Reason, uh, Jacob? Somebody just asked in the chat room. How many people work for Reason? You guys have got again. It's got to be what a dozen that are kind of on the bench, and then you guys bring in. Some extras. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to ask me that. Unfortunately, (laughs) I don't have a count, but I was just at. uh, We had what was called a staff retreat in in Washington, and um, I met a bunch of people on the staff that I had never met before. Uh, (laughs) It seems to be uh, a couple dozen people. Not everybody was there. There were a lot of people. Yeah, a couple dozen, I'd say, like on the editorial staff. Um, You know, that includes um, all the various editors and writers. who are full-time staff members. Um, and then you, as you mentioned, uh, we've got people in the, in the TV division. Yeah. That's a bunch more people. And then there are people who work mainly for the think tank and produce policy papers, that sort of thing. Yeah. No, it's a great organization. I mean, I'm, I, I, I like I said, I, it's, it's on my email every day. I get the emails and then it's on my, when I launch my browser, reason is right there on the front page of my browser every day to kind of catch, uh, catch things and see everything else. All right. Well, good. Uh, although having a staff retreat in Washington, D.C. doesn't sound as fun. Wouldn't a staff retreat in the Bahamas be better? I'm just asking for a friend. Yes. <laughs> uh, the location was not the only problem. This was actually uh, the label retreat was a bit deceptive. It turned out to be a series of meetings. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel like I was kind of tricked into attending a series of Wait, meetings. We did, get to, uh, we did de- get to drink uh, cocktails prepared by Peter Suderman. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, hold hold on a second, Jacob. Hold on, we're gonna jump back in. Hold on, we're gonna jump back into it. Here we go. 
What the hell is an assault weapon? You know, if we could just figure out how to get all of the murder guns and the attack guns and not keep selling those to people and just sell protection guns, I think that would be great and solve a lot of problems. Does this mean that if we hurt your feelings, you'd consider the Michael Dukes show assault radio? <laughs> okay, we can live with that. Here's Michael Dukes. That's right. No murder guns or assault guns here. We only buy protection guns in this household. That's how it works. Uh, Jacob Sullum, senior editor for Reason Magazine, joins us uh, this Friday, Firearms Friday. We appreciate him coming on board. He was just telling us a secret about, I feel like that could have been handled in an email, Jacob. He was telling us about a work retreat that happened in Washington, D.C., to which I said, wow, a retreat in Washington, D.C. does not sound nearly as fun as one in, say, the Bahamas or Hawaii or, heck, even Florida at some point in the sunshine. And you're like, but at least you got to get some cocktails made by Peter Sutterman. Is that is that like the highlight yeah, of the Peter trip? made some, some good cocktails and we went out to play miniature to drink and play miniature golf. The drinking did not improve my game. I was just gonna say uh, that was like which a- was not that good to begin with, but it was it was fun and, and look, it was worth it to see. I met all these people that I I work with every day, but I've never met in person, uh, yeah. relatively new hires. I mean, I've been there for like 30 years, so right. Uh, so that was cool. Um, I'm not a big fan of meetings. Yeah, uh, this could have been I handled like in an email, right? in, a, in an email or a memo. <laughs> um, but uh, other people disagree. Yeah, and no. they're more senior senior than I am. So. I you got to hate that. I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. This could have been a short email instead of a one hour and I flew halfway across the country kind of meeting. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, I appreciate you coming on board. Uh, you, he's a busy guy and you have been prolific, my friend. So I got a lot of stuff that I want to cover here in the next uh, next 35 minutes or so. Uh, I guess we should start from uh, from oldest to newest. Um, we really, I started reaching out to you really, uh, when, uh, the governor of New Mexico first put her edict out on the emergency gun restrictions as a public health emergency, uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham, uh, put that out there. So let's do a little bit of a, cause it's kind of, it's kind of settled, but let's do a bit of a postmortem on that. And uh, and and see where it's at right now, because the last thing I heard essentially was that she was enjoined. But then she decided to change the rules a little bit more and say, "Okay, fine. Now it's only parks and other places, which is still blatantly unconstitutional. But give us a bit of a postmortem on how this occurred and and what your take was on it as it went through. Well, I I would say that on the whole, the whole episode was rather encouraging uh, because she came out with this order early this month on September 8th. And she invoked her emergency powers, declared that gun violence was a public health emergency, and said, uh, essentially, in Albuquerque um, and the surrounding county, that no one could carry guns for self-defense, that if you carried guns, they had to be unloaded, they had to be locked um, you know, on public property. She allowed people to, to, to keep guns <laughs> on private property still, which is very nice of her. Um, and this was supposedly a response to recent shootings in New Mexico. Um, although, uh, if you look at the details of those crimes she talked about, there were a couple of mass shootings and there were uh, some shootings in which uh, children were killed. Uh, first of all, most of them didn't even happen in, in the Bernalillo uh, County, which right. is the county around Albuquerque. But secondly, in only one of those cases, which was um, a road rage incident, would this order even possibly have had any impact? And that's assuming that the guy who shot 
uh, at this family uh, would have followed her rule and not, you know, not had the gun in his car. Um, so it didn't make sense just just uh, in practical terms. Um, and uh, she knew that it was unconstitutional. I mean, how could you not know that given the Supreme Court's decision last year where it upheld the right to carry guns in public for self-defense um, and overturn New York's restrictions, uh, which you know made you make a special showing uh, in order to, to, to exercise that right. Um, and she acknowledges much. She said, uh, basically, this was going to be a challenge to recent court ruling. She didn't mention that it you know, challenges a, a Supreme Court ruling directly on point. Um, she alluded right. to other decisions uh, post uh, after the, after Bruin right. that uh, overturned um, different regulations um, and implied that oh this will help us uh, you know maybe uh, mount a legal challenge to that sort of thinking and the way she characterized it is that the courts are interpreting the Second Amendment as an absolute right and I don't believe it's an absolute right um, but that was really was a red herring because. This was a, a case directly, the Supreme Court case was directly on point. Um, so that happens. <laughs> and immediately, the mayor of Albuquerque, who's a Democrat, um, his police chief, the county sheriff, also a Democrat, um, said, we're not going to enforce this. And, and the sheriff in particular said, this is unconstitutional. And I don't want to be in a situation where people are going to sue, sue me or sue my deputies for trying to enforce an unconstitutional rule. Uh, she was panned in the local press. These are not Republicans. These are people who are generally right. sympathetic to the right. agenda saying, this is a fight she can't win. This is a distraction. Why is she doing this? Um, the uh, state attorney general wrote her a letter saying, we're not gonna defend your order. We don't, we think it's indefensible. And here's why, you know, laying out uh, how this was inconsistent with Supreme Court precedent. Um, the uh, uh, congressman from Cal the Democratic congressman from California, Ted Lieu, said on Twitter, "You know, I'm all for sensible gun regulation." Words to that effect, uh, but this is unconstitutional. Right? And you, there's no you exception for no health exception in the Constitution. Yeah, for there's, this, no, right? there's no public health exception to the Constitution. You can't uh, use your emergency powers to override the constitutional right. David Hogg who is a well-known uh, gun control activist, uh, agreed. Yep. Said this this is not the right right way to go about it. Um, and so basically it was just widely panned. And I, I, I think she expected to at least get some applause from people who support gun control uh, saying, oh, this is courageous. She's uh, you know taking a bold step. And even if in the end she loses it, at least she's taking a stand. Right. But there was very little of that. <laughs> so yeah. it was really a, a, a bipartisan rejection of, yeah. of trying to rule by decree, because I think many people like Ted Lieu saw, saw the implications of this. That, right. That a governor can declare her own emergency under her own authority and then based on that declaration, say, OK, you know, those constitutional rights you were exercising for, you can't do that. Anymore. Right. I'm so suspending them. Yeah. Yep. But to the First Amendment, to all sorts of civil liberties, and it's based on what she called an emergency, but is really just the always existing problem of violent crime. Right, exactly. So if, that, if that's an emergency of the sort that the legislature had in mind when it gave the governor emergency powers, then you know that could be invoked anytime, anywhere. 
right uh, to override second amendment rights. there was a, there was a lot of speculation that uh that one of the reasons why she did this of course is the rise of Gavin Newsom as a potential contender for the White House, uh, you know, maybe in four years, maybe if something else happens, slipping in as a VP or whatever, and that she may have been trying to curry favor after his 28th Amendment kind of push, that she was just like kind of doing the look at me over here, I'm on your team kind of thing. But I think this blatantly backfired on her. Uh, I mean, as you said, she has become massively, I saw one poll that said something like 67% of New Mexicans are like, nope. We're not we're not interested in that. We don't like it. We you know, I mean, her her approval rating is cratered. And uh, this might this might be unless they've got a really short memory. This might be the end of her having any kind of future political career inside of New Mexico. Doesn't mean she can't go national, but this could be a tough thing for. her. Yeah. And uh, to give Newsom a little bit of credit. At least he wants to amend the Constitution, you know, <laughs> right, right. Make, you know, the kind of gun laws he wants to see would make them constitutional by amending the Constitution. Well, that theoretically can be done. It never will be done. It's very hard to do. But at least he's going about it in the right way, whereas she's saying, I don't care what the Constitution says. You know, this is an emergency. Yeah. We need to do something. <laughs> something must be done. This is something. Therefore, this must be done. Um, and and it, it just was a huge flop. Yeah. Uh, and and and. You know, by the way, she uh, at her press conference the day she issued the order, uh, she was a reporter asked her, do you think that criminals are going to see this order and say, oh, we have to leave our guns at right, home now? Right. And she said, no. No. Right. It, I so, know. So it's not, uh, I mean, you know, just to give her the, the benefit of every doubt, um, she, by her own admission, it's not going to affect the behavior of criminals who are the ones responsible for most of the crime she's talking about not going to affect mass shooters it's not going to affect uh you know gang members you know at least one of these cases involved a gang dispute um so the only theory behind it is that people who follow the law therefore will follow this order but might like it in a moment of anger lose control and grab the gun in their car or whatever that it would affect them right that's the idea uh, that's, I, I guess <laughs> if there's any sort of case for it yeah. but it, it just was it, it you know, again, it was, you know, Democrats as well as Republicans said this just by your own admission that this makes no sense as a way of, of fighting violent crime. This is the conundrum, quite honestly, with most gun laws is that we know that criminals are not going to obey them anyway. And all you're basically doing is punishing and disarming law abiding citizens who just basically want to defend themselves. And that's been that's been one of the major problems with this to begin with. Now, the court enjoined her. So she modified the law to now only include public parks and pu- public parks and buildings or public parks and spaces, which the New Mexico Rifle Association said that's still unconstitutional. So it's still, I guess, in, in effect. Are they going back to court? Is anything else happening on this before we, we move off this? Um, yes. I, I mean, I think a bunch of gun rights groups immediately challenged the order. The TRO uh, was was issued five days later. And this is, by the way, this is a Biden appointee, and he could very immediately saw this is absolutely inconsistent with what the Supreme Court says. He doesn't have a choice in the matter. You can't, unlike, unlike uh, the governor, he doesn't say, I don't care what the Supreme Court said. Um, you know, he has to apply uh, the Constitution as interpreted by the Supreme Court, and he did so. Um, this was not a close call. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so she modified her order. Um, let me see if I can find the the actual language. Um, uh, 
She said that in her when she announced that she modified the order, she made no mention of the TRO uh, act. You know, she made right. it seem like she was just doing this on her own. She right. had second thoughts or whatever, but she didn't mention that she was under a court order <laughs> that prevents her from enforcing this order. Uh, and she said that uh, she was removing the previous provision around firearms and replacing it with a provision that temporarily suspends the carrying of firearms at parks and playgrounds. Those are the places where, where, right. where it supposedly applies now. And um, and that's open to challenge as well. We've seen this in other states where the le uh, legislature has said, uh, we're going to decide what, which sensitive places must be gun-free right. and parks and playgrounds frequently are included. Uh, that has been deemed unconstitutional in other states right. because people might want to protect themselves you and, know, and, in, and their children parks, and their children yeah um, in playgrounds yeah, yeah. so and and, the, and that's you know their, their their second amendment right yeah so i think it's still subject to challenge even though it's been you know very very substantially uh narrowed um and i don't i don't think there's any way that she's going to win in the end yeah um and it was not even a it was a public relations disaster for her so she wasn't a win in in political terms either i don't think. yeah no absolutely um there are two more things that i want to get to we're coming up on the break though but the first thing i want to talk about is and we we don't have to spend a lot of time on this but hunter biden his gun charges um you you made a statement in one of your articles and i don't i'm scrolling through i can't remember if it's this one or not but basically you said something about the fact that, you know, conservatives, Republicans, libertarians don't have to like Hunter Biden, but we should in one way be pulling for his defense on this because the law that he's being charged with is a ridiculous law. And we if right. we were being charged with it, we should be upset about the law and we should basically not cheer on, but support his defense in a Second Amendment way uh, because it is a ridiculous law. So give me a give me a, a quick uh, uh, intro to that, and then we'll pick it up on the other side. Yeah, so I mean, the, the law he violated prohibits um, unlawful users of controlled substances, and in his case, crack cocaine, but it also applies to marijuana consumers, even if they live in states where marijuana is legal. It applies to somebody who bar uses drugs prescribed to someone else. If you use your spouse's painkillers because you threw out your back, you lose your Second Amendment rights. Um, it's it's a crazy provision with no rational justification, and several courts have found uh, no basis in his in, in historical precedent. Um, and so he's going to challenge, almost certainly will challenge uh, these charges uh, based on the Second Amendment, which sets up an interesting clash with his father, right, who is very adamantly defending this law in court right now saying this is perfectly constitutional this is what common sense gun control looks like um and so he basically uh, i don't want to say he's rooting to send his son to prison but his, the implication of his argument is that it is justified to send his son to prison based on on this revolver purchase that he made right. back in uh, which 2018. is a, which is a 10 to 15 year sentence by the way for those of you who are it's, yeah. yeah it's actually even more than that, because initially he was charged only with violating the ban on possession by a drug user, which uh, at the time of the purchase, it was it was up to 10 years in prison. His father signed a law that increased the maximum penalty to 15 years. Now he has, he's facing two other charges, which are almost identical to each other, that have to do with checking no when he was asked on the form that you fill out when you buy a gun. 
uh, it asks you, you know, are you an unlawful user of, of right. controlled substances? Uh, and it notes that, you know, don't think just because you live in a state where marijuana is legal that you can both own guns and use marijuana. Um, and he, he said, no, I'm not an unlawful right. drug Perjured user. himself on the forum, that's, essentially. That's two more felonies. Yeah. One is up to five years, the other is up to 10 years. So it's theoretically now, yeah. they typically do not give maximum sentences and they don't usually order them to be served consecutively. Uh, but, but theoretically, this would be uh, 10 plus 10, but up to 25 years in prison. Um, uh, and for something that you know violated no one's rights, as far as we know, endangered no one. I mean, right. I don't think you can speculate about maybe, you know, he wasn't in such good shape and he shouldn't have had a gun uh, at the time, but but there's no evidence that he actually uh, injured or, or endangered anyone. Right. Jacob Sullivan, Reason Magazine senior editor. You can find him at Reason.com. We're going to be back and talk about a little bit more about Hunter and then on to the California large capacity magazine case. We return with more right after this. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. Uh, all right, Jacob Selim, Reason Magazine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, we, many of us kind of despise all the things that Hunter Biden stands for and does. But in this case, I have to say that I'm rooting for his defense team on this charge alone, simply because, uh, you know, this is a, this is a ridiculous law, uh, you know, that that needs to be overturned, like many of the gun laws out there needs to be overturned. And I would love to see him win this, especially in the ironic fact that his father is such a huge supporter of it. I think that would be an amazing I think that would be an amazing opportunity. Yeah, I mean, his lawyers absolutely have to take on the arguments that the Justice Department has been making, which is to say, I mean, they've made several arguments. But one of them is that uh, people who use illegal drugs are, are so dangerous that they can't be trusted with with guns, and this, that this is a well-established principle, a historical principle, that you can, when people are dangerous, uh, you can take away their Second Amendment rights. Um, and this, by the way, coming from the same administration where, you know, the president says, marijuana use shouldn't even be treated as a crime. Right, exactly. So marijuana use is not serious, serious enough to be treated as a crime, but it's serious enough that you lose lose your Second Amendment rights because of it, right? Well, and you you, there's no evidence that you know you handle guns while intoxicated. There's no evidence that you pose uh, any kind of threat to other people. No history of violence, none of that, right? So that so his son's lawyers are going to have to take on uh, that argument, which yep. which has been rejected, as I mentioned, by several courts, including the federal appeals court. Um, and and on the the point about uh, you know you have to look at the the merits uh practical and constitutional of these laws uh uh without without reference to who happens to be screwed over by them <laughs> right 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 um, uh you you may recall trump's uh, uh supposed gun purchase in south carolina which of course did not actually happen but but initially his spokesman said oh he had bought this glock with his face on it you know right. a special commemorative trumpet. right yeah commemorative well, glock. And he admired it during the visit of the gun store. And initially his spokesman said, oh, he had bought one. And this is a problem <laughs> for at least a couple of reasons. One is that he's under indictment uh, for a bunch of felonies, um, which means he's not allowed to buy guns. 
Um, and clearly his spokesman didn't realize that. Trump, I probably did not realize that either. Um, um, and secondly, he, he even if he hadn't been under indictment, um, because he, he's a Florida resident, he couldn't have simply walked into a store and bought a handgun. He would have had to get it shipped to Florida and take possession of it there. Um, Right. So these, I mean, those, these are both stupid rules. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. it's, it's bad enough that a bunch of people who have felony records uh, that don't involve violence of any kind could be drug crimes, might not even involve victims. Uh, they permanently lose their, their Second Amendment rights. But the law that, that Trump would have violated by buying a gun says that even if you're only accused of felonies, hasn't been proven at all. Right. You still are not allowed to buy guns. So much, for, um, yeah, so much for innocent until proven guilty. At that point, they just say, "We think you did it." So now your Second Amendment rights are stripped away. Um, yeah, and a judge in Texas um, uh, just let's see, last week or the week before, said that that was unconstitutional. There was a, yeah. a case involving a guy who was under indictment, who was charged with uh, illegally obtaining a firearm. And the judge applied Bruin and said, you know, I don't see looking at the historical evidence that that's available to me. I don't see how this is justified. I yeah. don't see the precedent for this uh, going back to around the time when the Second Amendment was ratified or around the time when the 14th Amendment was ratified and made the Second Amendment applicable to the states. Yeah, you bring you brought up an interesting point in a separate article that wasn't specifically dealing with guns, but it was talking about Hunter Biden. And what we're talking about here is the charge stacking. You know how uh, you're actually infringing on people's right to trial because the majority of federal cases, something like 98 percent, are pled out. They don't normally go right. to they don't normally go to court because what they say is they offer you, you know, they get a guy, they get him on one thing. And the next thing you know, he's got 37 federal charges against him and they'll put him in a little room and say, OK, here's the deal. We make a plea or we're going to go after you for these 37 different charges. And if even one of them sticks, you'll do more time than the plea deal. So go ahead and just sign right here. And yeah, so well, keep in mind that under the original plea deal that, that fell apart because of several problems with it uh, that a judge noted, um, the prosecutor says, this is not the sort of thing where we really we think, not only don't we think you should go to prison, but we're not even going to prosecute you for this as long as you complete this two-year pretrial diversion program. They were prepared to do that. They clearly did not see him as a threat to public safety. Uh, but now, now that he's decided to actually, you know, uh, invoke his his Sixth Amendment right and go to trial, uh, they're stacking two additional charges based on the same transaction on top of the original one, um, and that's the penalty he pays for for, for uh, yeah, you know, in, invoking his Sixth Amendment rights. Um, and that's very common, and that's a major reason why, as you mentioned, almost no cases uh, go to trial. Yep, and I'm going to post a link to that article up in the chat room right now because that's a good read on how that works as well. Jacob Sullum, Reason Magazine, our guest. We're going to continue here. Please like and share, <clears throat> like and follow, get more folks involved in the show. Let's get things rolling on the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. I am not. You can ask my mom. She she thinks I'm an angel. Just absolutely wonderful. Welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke show continues. Jacob Sullum is our guest. 
Reason Magazine, senior editor for Reason. He's been covering a lot of gun stuff lately. Um, I just finishing up with the uh, with the Hunter Biden thing and just kind of final thoughts on on his uh, now his taking this thing to court again. We don't have to like because you said this in the end of the article. We don't have to like Hunter Biden to support the vein of defense that he's trying to take because we may not like him, but these same laws can apply to a lot of different folks. And we should be fighting and cheering on for the fighting against that law, regardless of who the defendant is at that point. Right. Correct. And and uh, uh, he is extremely unlucky in the sense that the government noticed that he was <laughs> that he bought a gun, he owned a gun and that he was a drug user. In, mo- in, in, in that all very rarely happens because in practical terms, you go to buy a gun and so you fill out the form. You say, no, I'm not a drug user. They're never going to know in, in the vast majority of cases. They have no way of knowing. Only if you have publicly admitted drug use, as he did, or if you've been arrested on drug charges and it, this came out you know, officially, would the government or the dealer have reason to know that you are, in fact, uh, not allowed to own a gun because, right. uh, because you're a drug user. Uh, so it, it, it leads to really wildly uneven enforcement. You've got looking at survey data. So this is based on what share of people own guns and how many people use drugs. And we're talking mainly about marijuana, but you're talking about millions of Americans who are felons and don't even realize it probably because right. they both smoke marijuana from time to time and they own guns. Yeah, uh, Theoretically, they could all be sent to prison. In practice, almost none of them will be, but the few unlucky bastards who happen to be caught, you know, this was uh, the case uh, uh, where where a court just recently ruled that this um, uh, law was unconstitutional to supply to a marijuana user who was pulled over. He happened to be pulled over. He had like the remains of a few joints in the ashtray or whatever. Um, and he also had a gun. There you go. He's right. like, that makes him a felon, right? right. And so uh, the appeals court said, no, um, this is at least as applied to this guy. This law is unconstitutional. It does not. It is not consistent with the nation's uh, historical tradition of firearm regulation. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's it's almost totally random as to who happens to be actually charged. And this guy got a prison sentence. Right. Uh, I think it was a nearly four year prison sentence. Right. Hunter, Hunter, Hunter Biden initially was not facing anything like that, but now that he's going to trial, he might. Yeah. Um, and and so when you have this law that makes no sense to begin with, uh, that is unconstitutional according to the test the Supreme Court has established, and that is just kind of arbitrarily randomly enforced against people who just happen to come to the government's attention, you know that makes it even more blatantly yeah. unfair because. Millions of people are violating this law every year. Yeah. And, and there's just, you know, 100 to 200 cases that are that are charged each year. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting case. And, I, and I, we're going to watch closely to see what happens with it. Let's move over to California. The large capacity magazine ban. My new personal hero, Judge Robert uh, Roger Benitez, uh, again, has ruled once more in this case after it's been passed down back from the Supreme Court after the Bruin decision and large capacity magazine bans are now again geared unconstitutional. This has been going on for a while. Benitez has been making some amazing rulings, not just in this case, but in other cases as well. Uh, But this is a good news for people in California. 
Yeah, so, so what happened is that uh, California had this law that's been on the books since uh, 2000, so over two decades, which uh, the law itself initially banned uh, production and distribution of magazines that hold more than 10 rounds. There was a, uh, a referendum that was passed, a ballot initiative that was passed by voters that extended that to uh, previously owned magazines. Right, because they had a grandfather clause that allowed you to own them. If you already had them, it was right. just new Those manufacturing. Those were grandfathered under the original law, but under the initiative, um, they uh, you had to give them up. And if you didn't, you were committing a crime. Uh, so back in, I think it's 2000, this passed, that initiative passed in 2016, and then Benitez in, in 2017 issued a, a preliminary injunction stopping that from taking effect, meaning the government can't come around and confiscate all of those grant, originally grandfathered magazines. But then he went further a couple of years later uh, and issued a, a permanent injunction that applied not just to the extension uh, of the law, but to the whole law, the, the, the limit, uh, the 10 round limit on magazines. Uh, he was initially upheld, surprisingly, <laughs> by a, a panel of, of Ninth Circuit judges. It was just kind of the luck of the draw that the, those particular judges happened to uh, be, uh, be sympathetic to his arguments. Uh, but then that was overturned uh, by an en banc decision. Um, and that decision was one of, the, one of the rulings that the Supreme Court vacated after Bruin. Just like a week after Bruin, uh, they vacated four appeals court decisions. This was one of them. So it went back to the Ninth Circuit. Uh, to, for reconsideration in light of Bruin. So now we have to apply this historical test. And they sent it back to Benitez. And Benitez, of course, had already said this was unconstitutional even before Bruin. And now he's, he, so he went through, this is a pretty lengthy opinion. And he went through, you know, what's the relevant historical uh, evidence? Um, and the state, you know, California really could not come up with much of anything. I no. mean, it came up with, with a lot of things in the sense that it listed hundreds of laws right. that were passed between, I think, the 17th century and the early 20th century, but they almost none of them had anything to do <laughs> with this subject, right? right? So when they were asked, what's the best historical analog that you can cite? California said, it's this New York City law uh, that said you can't keep more than a certain amount of gunpowder in in your home in, right. your, in a building right in a building and this was not had nothing to do with trying to prevent violence that had to do it was a fire safety measure right because they were worried about having people having too much gunpowder right. it was a huge amount of gunpowder by the way it's not it's like 500 pounds it was like five they could say yeah and so and the benitez says okay so you can say detachable magazines you know, they are relatively recent development, late 19th century. So maybe it's not reasonable to demand a law directly on point that applies to detachable magazines. But you had repeating rifles, right? In the in in the 19th century, around the time the 14th Amendment was was passed, these were very widely used, and and the government was not able to come up with a single example of a law that said that regulated those or said you can't have those. Right. You know, this is the same, same idea. It's how many rounds can you fire without reloading? If that were a common concern, and if that kind of restriction was seen as constitutional, you would expect to see at least one example of, of that. And they had none. Right. right. And then subsequent to that, so late 19th century, you have the tattoo magazines. From that point on, 
uh, you could have had people proposing limits on the capacity of those magazines, but that did not happen until 1990. When New Jersey, uh, I think originally they said you could have up to 15 rounds and they subsequently reduced the limit to 10. Right. So that does not count as, you know, 1990 historical, in New Jersey yeah. does not count as an historical precedent under, under Bruin. Yeah. Uh, so California had a very, had an even harder uh, case to make this time around under Bruin than, than it did originally. Jacob Selim, Reason Magazine. He's writing about all these things. Just go to reason.com. Uh, slash people slash Jacob Sullum and you'll find all his writings there uh some amazing stuff Jacob thank you so much for taking the time uh coming in and joining us we appreciate it hold the line for just one second okay thank you for coming thanks for coming on board folks we're out of time we got more coming up gun Q&A open line up next it's firearms Friday boy this is the thing uh Jacob I'm watching these state attorneys uh you know trying to defend themselves they're they're almost beclowning themselves in these cases like you said they pulled laws they pulled a slew of laws from like 1596 to 1997 or something and pulled every law they thought was relevant and the judge is like nope none of these you know and then they also use the idea of defensive gun use and they said oh the only the average of 2.2 rounds is being fired in defensive and the judge is like show me where and they brought their own expert in with these arbitrary numbers uh and every i mean it's it's just they cannot defend themselves on the merits of what they're trying to do once the Bruin decision has come in they they cannot uh defend the position that they have yeah i mean i mean all that stuff is actually irrelevant under Bruin. The stuff about, well, how many rounds typically are fired in self-defense, um, it's irrelevant. They explicitly said you can't do this kind of balancing test where you say, what's, if we have this law, what would the cost be to you know, gun owners who might want to defend themselves versus what's the benefit in terms of reducing you know, fatalities and mass shooting? You can't do that anymore. Uh, so that's just right out. Uh, he nevertheless did go, as you mentioned, he went into the the, uh, that those analyses and showed why there were problems. But then he also said, um, let's just take the, suppose this is true. Suppose these figures are correct. Let's look at various surveys that try to measure how com- you know how often it is that people use guns in self-defense right. and apply the percentage. This is a very small percentage, but it's a lot of you know, gun use. So, it, and he came out to, I think, thousands, at least thousands of cases each year where this would make a difference. Right. Where, you know, having, having yeah, something like 9,000 on the top end, 9,000 cases or yeah. something, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, no matter which kind of analysis you try to apply, I think they're screwed. Um, but especially with the historical analysis, it's just um, and it's not like I said, it's not unreasonable to ask for that kind of evidence because it, it won't be exactly the same, but it will be the same general idea, you know, which is. Yeah, you could have had a law that banned revolvers for that matter. Right. Right. You could have said, no, you can only have single shot derringers or something. Right. right? right exactly. Um, a law like that. That's that's relevant. Right. Show me some show me states that pass laws like that. Right. Uh, and they have nothing. Yeah, so. they've got nothing. That's the thing. I mean, Bruin has made such a fundamental sea change in the in the landscape of of gun rights. Um, I mean, I think we will look back to say that 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 definitely, especially between McDonald, Heller, and Bruin, those three cases in combination have just made such a change in America and in this this fight over gun culture and over gun laws. 
Um, I think they're still just struggling to try and figure out how to to get their footing. They just can't seem to find their the 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 pace to kind of go back on the attack, so to speak. Yeah, I mean it's it's educational for people though because you know the in the process of defending the ban on gun possession by by drug users, they say you know what? Well, there's a tradition of of not letting dangerous people have guns. Well, who are dangerous people? And then like, well, blacks, Indians, white, wait, hang on, <laughs> blacks, right. Indians, Catholics, you know. <laughs> yeah. This is what the laws used to say. In, yeah. In the process of of delving into that history, they are invoking these really ugly discriminatory laws as evidence in their favor. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. When you have to stand behind a law that says blacks and Catholics and Irish can't own firearms because they're dangerous, you're like, wait a second, that's that's nasty stuff that we've gone be. Oh, no, but that's the law we're standing on kind of thing. Or the whole argument about, uh, you know, intoxicated or blah, blah, blah. Well, wait, people can drink and they don't have to be intoxicated. They could still own a fireman. It doesn't prevent them from owning a firearm in their own home, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they just. Yeah, it has been educational to see the historical evidence that they keep trying to put up and see that it very clearly does not match the law that they're trying to create today. Yeah. So, well, my friend, I just want to encourage you to keep up the fight. You are doing some amazing work over there, and uh, and I appreciate appreciate you coming on board. You're doing some uh, some great stuff, and uh, I just can't wait to see what the next. I can't wait to see what the next chapter is. They're trying in every way, every way, shape, or form possible to, to pick up the. I guess final thought, final question, quickly. I don't have a lot of time. I know you got to go, but you know, Biden just created this office of gun violence, and it seems like they've set their hat, uh, their their sights on one of their major campaign things for the next presidential is going to be gun control which has been a non, it's been not a winner. In fact, in all the things that people are concerned about, it does, it barely breaks the top 10 issues that people care about. Do you think that that's going to be a winner for them if they focus on gun control as a major campaign platform uh, in, in the presidential or other races around the country? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I think uh, crime is going down again now and, I'm not sure Republicans will get much mileage out of, you know, the, the tough law and order stuff either. Um, that's, you know, their usual responses. The Democrats like we have to uh, take away people's guns and the Republicans yep. know we just need to send more people to prison for longer periods of time. Yep. And um, I don't I don't think given the way trends are going now that that's that either party is going to get much mileage from that stuff. Yeah. Um, and the gun control stuff is really is tricky for biden because you know he needs the people who hate trump but don't necessarily agree with his gun control agenda right right so yeah he makes that a a prominent part of his his campaign he he might alienate those people which doesn't mean they're necessarily going to vote for trump but they might just stay home well especially with all the new gun owners since COVID, i mean eight million of them and a majority of them are minorities female and more progressive I mean, these are new liberal gun owners that may do more, in fact, to alienate them and harm them. So it's a it's an interesting conundrum. And I'm I'm happy that he's taking it up because I think it's a loser for him in the long run. But we'll see what happens. Jacob, thank you so much, my friend. It's good to see you. Thank you for being part of it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Always good. Always good to talk with you. All right, folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. Hour two dead ahead going to open the phone lines up and talk with you about whatever it is that we want to talk about the michael duke show 
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Hey, my rifle. Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature right here on the Michael Duke Show. Good morning and welcome to it, hour two of the big radio broad. I mean, it's the fastest two hours in radio for sure. And we are here in hour two already, ready to go. Uh, Willie Waffle will be joining us here at the end of the program this morning to talk about movies and streams and entertainments. It's just kind of a lighter way to leave the show uh, at the end of the day, you know, kind of lighten things up and get you ready for the weekend. Um, anyway, it's uh, it's been good. You just missed our interview with Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine, if you're just joining us. Um, it was an excellent, uh, excellent uh, interview. Uh, we got a chance to talk about uh, the New Mexico governor and her push to uh, take guns away, Hunter Biden's issue. And uh, and the uh, California now the the federal court judge in California and his uh, stay and uh, uh, stopping of the large capacity magazine ban, which has been that's been an issue 25 years in the making. Twenty five. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane. It's just insane. Right now, Benitez, I mean, he first ruled on that uh, six, seven years ago now. But this whole thing has been such a push in California for so many years. And uh, now it's been completely reversed, and people in California now can exercise their Second Amendment rights with standard, they call them large-capacity magazines, but since most uh, rifles with detachable magazines come with a 30-round magazine today, it's more standard capacity instead of large-capacity magazines. Anyway, great discussion with Jacob uh, from Reason Magazine on that, and you can, again, go back and watch that on Facebook, or you can listen to it on the podcast. However you would like to uh, be part of it, we would love for you to uh, to go back and, and enjoy that. So, hour two today, I want to open up the phone lines, uh, because one of the things that I love to do is talk with you on Fridays, answer questions. The whole point of Firearms Friday is to do my best to answer questions, to demystify firearms, gun laws. Uh, Not that I'm the end-all, be-all. Don't get me wrong. I know a lot, but I don't know absolutely everything. But I also, I do have the smartest listenership um, in, uh, in the world. And so if I don't know the answer to it, I guarantee you somebody in the chat room or some other listener can call in and answer a question that I'm not, that I don't know about. And so that's, uh, it's a great way to, uh, to get questions answered. And so we're going to go that I actually have a question already that was posted earlier up in the chat room uh, by Denise. Uh, And I'll be honest, this is one of those questions where I don't 
know the answer to this. So maybe somebody else can. Uh, I had never seen this before. So let's let's throw this question out there. And maybe one of the listenership here is um, um, is is you know has the answer and can put it up for us. Of course, I didn't uh, I didn't star it, uh, but uh, the question I know is here in the chat room. Real quick, here it is. Found it. Okay, uh, let me quick <clears throat> let me note that so that I can star it later. Denise asked the question. She says the three fifty seven Smith and Wesson has the words no less than one hundred and twenty grain bullet stamped on the barrel. Why? Teaching moment here, she says. Thanks. Um, the, to answer that question, I don't know why it, it would be any no less than 120 grain bullet other than, well, no, I really, I can't even speculate. I don't know why it would have the, the words no less than 120 grain bullet stamped in the barrel. Uh, I mean, probably 120 grains would be, you know, that that probably would be the minimum minimum for a 357 to begin with. But I don't know why specifically that would be stamped on the barrel, Denise. I, I really don't. Uh, maybe uh, somebody else in the chat room knows exactly why or has an idea or an inclination. Um, <clears throat> I can, uh, I can, I, of course, I also have Google, uh, which uh, uh, I can put in right now. Uh, and let's see what, uh, what that comes up with. Um, uh Okay, and here's what uh, it says. Magnum bullets that weigh less than 120 grains will exit their cartridge before the cartridge charge has a chance to completely burn. So, okay, so that means uh, that means it is uh, that, that there's still unburnt stuff in the cartridge, which I'm assuming would cause problems with, uh, with fouling and other things. So that's the top answer here. Uh, is that because they are so light, the bullets are so light that they exit the cartridge before the cartridge charge has a chance for, for all the powder inside the casing to actually burn up and go away. So <clears throat> there's a there's a reason there, um, and that that uh, that I guess that may, makes sense in that regard. I would assume it would be because they don't want the fouling or anything else. I don't know of any other potential problems that that could cause other than excessive fouling and and probably low bullet speed because the bullet does not reach it doesn't it, it doesn't reach maximum pressure in the case before the before the bullet is expended so <clears throat> anyway um that's a good question and we'll see if we can find somebody else has a has an answer to that but that's a good uh, that's a good question oh stop with google she says hey if i don't know my google foo is strong that's all i could say i know that i that i got there um, all right, let's uh, go over to the phones. I do have some other stories if we run out of phone calls, but like I said, we love, we love, we love, we love, we love, we love, we love talking to you. So let's go over to the phones and start over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Oh, that's because I actually have to push. I'm sorry. That's because I have to push the button properly. Let me try that again. Good morning. Where are you calling from? Who is this? Uh, my name's Webb, and I'm calling from Anchor Point. Hello, Webb. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, another issue with those Smith and Wessons that uh, require that bullet gram thing is if you don't pick the right ammunition and you have a gun that has a a much lighter recoil, 
or I mean a much heavier recoil because it's a lighter a lighter firearm. If you don't get the right ammunition, you can actually dislodge the projectile from the casing on the unspent rounds in the cylinder as you're so you pull it off and and the the recoil will allow the the projectile to dislodge from the casing and then your gun will malfunction. It will it will move out there and then you it won't cycle the, the cylinder and you can't pull the trigger and it's based. So I've had that issue and you got to find the correct ammunition even in the owner's manual. So the recoil is enough to jar the projectile forward in the casing, causing it to stick out of the face of the cylinder, and so then the cylinder won't rotate and you can lock the gun up is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds like I'm not much of a revolver guy, so this is kind of all new territory for me in that regard. That makes sense. Uh, Having a projectile that leaves the barrel too early could cause excessive fouling. Um, you know, maybe even, yeah, I mean, it really sounds like it's problematic. So it's good to know. And that's a good point. Uh, you got to make sure that you have the correct ammunition. This is why, this is why you have to be so careful and cautious when you're reloading is you have to make sure that you've got the right amount of powder, the right types of projectiles, the right types of casing, that the crimps are good, that everything is seated well. That's why it's it's more of a uh, of an uh, science that to the reloading rather than just kind of a rote deal. You got to pay close attention to that. Yes, you do, and yep. I appreciate you, Mike. And I'm going to get off the phone. Thank you. Thank you, Webb. I appreciate you calling in this morning uh, to the program. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. If you'd like to sound off, we'd love to hear from you as well this morning let's go over to uh this other caller and see what they have to say good morning who's this where are you calling from good morning michael this is larry in uh, north pole Fairbanks area good morning larry how are you my Uh, friend oh just another great day in paradise i love Um, it what's on your mind i was uh calling about uh uh are you going to be up here with your gun show next month? Yep, we're going to be at the Go Winter Expo next month uh, at the Carlson Center. It's about three and a half weeks away right now. Okay. Um, what What are the dates? October 21st and 22nd of, of, of October. I said October okay. 21st and 22nd, yep. Okay. Um, uh, public announcement, uh, Tano Valley Sportsman Association is having their gun show the 14th and 15th um, at the TVSA uh, shooting range uh, on Saturday Very good. and Sunday. Very good. Uh, yeah, the week before the week before you guys. So um, um, I just thought I'd throw that out, let the general public know that, because that, uh, I wasn't sure when yours was. I I don't have that electronic stuff to, to get notified. <laughs> well, that's okay, Larry. So the TVSA, the Tanana Valley Sportsman's Association gun show is the 14th and 15th. And then the Interior Alaska gun show at the Go Winter Expo at the Carlson Center is the following weekend on the 21st and 22nd then. All right. All right. I'll let you go. And I, I got this terrible four-letter word 
you know, work and I got to go take care of here just in a few minutes. <laughs> All right, Larry. So, well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you for calling in. All right. All right. Let's uh, go over to the phones here. Take one more call before we go to break. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Morning, Mike. It's Fred, Rhode Island. How you been? Hello, my friend. What's happening in beautiful Rhode Island? Well, you know, another another rainy day over here. We've had a lot of rain this year. Last year was a drought, and this year we're making up for that, and probably next year, too. Anyway, the reason I'm calling today is, you know, in, in taking into account the magazine ban that the judge in California ruled on, he's, he's, he's right on the money, I think. You know, this whole magazine limiting to 10 rounds business is nothing more than just gun control out of control. It really, it, it's, just, it, it's just nonsense. It's, all it is is just... It, it, it's punitive punishment to conservatives, to gun owners, to those who believe in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Second Amendment. You know, it's nothing more than just punitive punishment for being conservative, you know, among other things. And, you know, it's just nonsense. We have the, one of the worst bills over here in Rhode Island right now. It somehow got through the legislation through some underhanded tactics that they pulled off at the, uh, at the 11th hour on the vote. And, uh, you know, it, and they're really, you know, it, it, you, can't, you are prohibited. There is no grandfather clause. You're totally prohibited from having anything over 10 rounds. Right. You know, and they gave you, they gave you a year to get rid of it. But after that, I mean, you know, it's, just, it's, just, it's now cemented in place. And we're hoping that the whole thing gets overturned because it's just total nonsense. Well, like I say, it's nothing more than a, poly, you know, a smoke and mirrors poly trick to, uh, you know, to just take away rights. And, you know, like I say, when, once the Second Amendment goes down, which they're chiseling away at on a daily basis, the woke... Yeah, no, I mean, this is what we've talked about. Yeah, I mean, Fred, this is what we've talked about in the past, that this is punitive. That the people, the politicians in New York, New Jersey, California, they know that many of the things that they're now trying to pass as law in light and in post-Bruin times, they're doing it as a punitive measure against those legal law-abiding citizens who dared to fight back against them in the courts and to win this kind of decision. We know that that is what they're going after here. And you're right. Your, your ban, if you get a judge similar to what Benitez is doing at the federal level, I think it stands a very good chance of being overturned in light of Bruin, that they, you can't just have an arbitrary number to say, uh, you can't have a magazine over X number of rounds. They may have pushed it through in Rhode Island, but I'm not 100% sure that it would stand any kind of scrutiny. I'm assuming that the Rhode Island uh, Rifle Association or your gun organizations in the state are working on that right now, right? Well, actually, it's NSSF, you know, the National Security Sports Foundation. Right. Taking up the, uh, taking up the cause to, uh, to try to overturn it. And they, and they stand very good ground doing it. The question is just procedurally, you know, going through with the whole thing and, you know, getting it into the court, which, you know, they're going to try to block that, too. They're going to come up with every every uh, smoke and mirrors trick to try to get that block to go into the court because they do things in a very underhanded way around here anyway. Yeah. You know, there's nothing yeah. new. It's uh, kind of like a northeast corridor trick on the East Coast that they, uh, you know, they pull these little they pull these little stunts off on, you know, behind the and be, you know, they, they say that justice, the halls of justice is only accomplished by justice in the hall. <laughs> That's the way it works around <laughs> That's here true. for the most time. That is true for sure. All right, Fred. Well, hey, it's great to hear from you. Thanks for listening from Rhode Island. I hope you have a great weekend, my friend. Okay. 
You too. Take care. All right. Thanks so much. All right, folks, that brings us over to the break. I got all four lines open. If you want to sound off this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Willie Waffle will be joining us at about uh, 20 till or so. Meanwhile, we'll have one final segment for more open lines and maybe some stories. We will return. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Donut King in Wasilla, home to some of America's best donuts, just keeps getting better. They're proud to announce the return of their head donut baker, Jared, whose sole purpose at Donut King is making donuts great again. Veteran-owned and operated, making more than 70 varieties of handmade, hand-iced donuts fresh every day. And don't forget to stop in and get a King's Dozen for work or for your special event. Donut? See what I did? Donut King, making donuts great again. 490 North Main in Wasilla, or find them on Facebook. <sighs> now I want donuts. Now I want donuts. <laughs> oh, was that me? Maybe. Um, <clears throat> maybe that was me. Uh, GD says the Second Amendment folks in California call Judge Benitez Saint Benitez. They should. They should. That's that that guy is amazing. Is amazing. Uh, Terry says, "What the hell was that? That was an ad for Donut King. That's what that was. It's an ad for Donut King." Uh, Cindy and the whole crew over there have been really kind to the show, and uh, she's just such a great lady. And they made some changes, and they brought her son back, and so I wrote her a commercial and uh, and did it for her, uh, and uh, and I appreciate it. <clears throat> She's they're doing some good stuff over there, um, and they they make some great donuts. It's all all you can say. Uh, and uh, Amy's like, Jason's donuts are the best. Well, Jason's donuts are also good. I will admit that this week I did have a Jason's donut. Like one of the first times, because usually when I drive by there, because they are in Eagle River now, and I drive by on my way home or my way to work, and occasionally I think I should stop in there. And every time I've thought to stop in there on the way by, they're sold out. By 9.05 a.m., they're sold out. And so I'm like, okay, all right. But I this last week, I guess it was last week. It wasn't this week. It was last week. I said, man, I should stop in there and see if they've got. And the, lo and behold, they did have a few things left. And so I was like, I haven't had a Jason's donut in a long time. They're tasty. I like them. I like them. Um, but I like uh, there's a the, I like the variety and the uh, anyway uh, King uh, the yeah King's donuts very very good as well. I mean, really, have you ever seen a donut that you didn't like? You know, I mean, even Krispy Kreme. I, Krispy Kremes are okay, right? They're okay. There are so many more that. There's so many more out there. Krispy Kremes are just okay. But it's not like I don't like any kind of donut at that point. In, in case you couldn't tell. I mean, I'm in shape. Round is a shape. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I have bacon and eggs. House smoked from Cole's Market in Homer. Oof. Oof. 
Melissa's like golden. Everybody's going to name their favorite donuts now. I mean, each what's funny about that is that each donut shop has like a sp- one specific donut that is the best. Like if I was going to do a, ch- a choosing, it would be like <clears throat> the uh, cinnamon, the, the, the cinnamon crumb cake donut from Dino's Donuts in Anchorage. And then for my wife, I would get the old-fashioned non-glazed donuts from Golden because those are delicious. I'd get a cheese Danish from Jason's Donuts. And then I'd go to King Donuts and get their Bear Claw and their they have a triangular filled Bavarian cream filled. And their French crullers are amazing. So, I mean, you could pick, you know, one for me. You know, you can make a stop on the way through. They are delicious. Delicious. Uh you know those packaged donuts encased in a wax-like substance? You're talking about like the little donuts from Hostess? I've I've seen those. I've seen those. Those are all good. Who has gluten-free donuts? I don't know. Who hates life? I mean, who hates life? No, anybody that has gluten-free donuts. That sounds sacral. That's like decaffeinated coffee. What the actual hell were you thinking when you created decaffeinated coffee? That's what I, you know. Mm. Okay, um, we were talking about guns until I hit the donut button. So that's fine. That's fine. We're going to jump back into it here. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow, do all the things. Let's get it done, shall we? And non-alcoholic beer. Mm. Donuts have less calories than regular solid pastries because of the whole, says Randy. You may not be wrong. May not be wrong. What the hell is an assault weapon? You know, if we could just figure out how to get all of the murder guns and the attack guns and not keep selling those to people and just sell protection guns, I think that would be great and solve a lot of problems. Does this mean that if we hurt your feelings, you'd consider the Michael Duke Show Assault Radio? <laughs> okay, we can live with that. Here's Michael Dukes. Yeah, yeah, so good I had to play it twice. That's what I that's what it's all about. Welcome back to the program. It is Firearms Friday. And uh, we're ready to finish up our conversation. Phone lines are open if you would like to sound off at 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Love to hear what you have to say on any firearms topic this morning before we go to it. Willie Waffle coming up here. Uh, in about uh, 12 minutes or so, we'll be picking things up with Willie to talk about what's going on uh, in the entertainment and the movies and the streams and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, we got some <clears throat> we got some stories and things to talk about. But I do want to go back quickly and revisit uh, what we were just talking about with um, with uh, Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine talking about with uh, Hunter Biden. Um, because one of the things that, that he talks about in his article, um, uh, is that you don't have to like Biden, um, you know, as much as in here's, here's the final sentence from his, um, um, here's the final sentence, uh, from, or final paragraph from, uh, Jacob's article in reason talking about the Hunter Biden, uh, legal battle over the firearms issues. He said the president's commitment to the position, which is, of course, that that 
anybody who has any kind of uh, illegal or, you know, quasi-illegal drug use is is a felon. By the president's commitment to that position pits him against his own son, whose continued freedom may depend on his ability to persuade the court that his father is wrong about the constitutionality of a policy that arbitrarily deprives millions of Americans the right to armed self-defense. This clash also puts conservative supporters of that right in an awkward position. As much as they might loathe Hunter Biden, Republicans who take the Second Amendment seriously may have cause to thank him for helping to dismantle restrictions that undermine the freedom it guarantees. And I I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's not, you know, we don't like to, we don't want to look at this guy in the face and say, oh, yeah, this is the, you know, this the, we would support. But at the same time, this law is this law is wrong. And so at that point, we should support it. Now, Jerrica in the chat room said something a little differently. Uh, she said when we were talking about this, she says, I'm confused right now. I haven't been paying attention to the clown show going on in D.C. So Hunter was breaking the law, but one charge violates his right. Am I understanding this correctly? And I said, yes, that's what we mean. This one charge is a ridiculous. He He's probably guilty of a ton of other stuff, right? I mean, what did they get him on? They got him on tax evasion, just like they got Al Capone, and on this gun charge. Uh, I think the tax evasion, definitely legit. The gun charge is something else. Jerrica goes on to say, it's pretty hard to stand up and defend someone who has broken the law so many times without repercussions, regardless if this one time his, one time his right were, rights were violated. And I would agree with that on principle, but the problem is, is that the same law is being applied to millions of Americans. So while we may not like him individually, we may not like him as a person, we may not like the things that he does, he may have broken many other laws, but just because those things are going on doesn't mean that it is justice to have this unconstitutional law be applied to him. She does go on to say, don't get me wrong. I agree we need to fight for our rights, but I can't be the only one that thinks he deserves the jail time. I agree that he deserves the jail time. I just think he deserves the jail time for the other laws that he has broken. They shouldn't just be stacking charges on top of charges on top of charges on top of charges, which is what they're doing. You know, this is the this is the way. This is the way uh, this is the federal. This is how the federal government works, especially for people who decide that they want to exercise their Sixth Amendment right to a trial to jury uh, trial by jury is they just stack so many charges on you that if even one gets through, usually you'll do more jail time than you would uh, if you just took whatever plea deal that they had for you. Um, I mean, and again, ironically, as Jacob pointed out, you know, up until the time when they first had that first plea deal in thing, they didn't think he was a danger. They didn't think this was a crime that he should spend any time in jail for. They were, you know, they were fine with all this when there was a plea deal on the table. Uh, and then all of a sudden when he, when the plea deal falls apart, because not of what they did, but because of what the judge decided, and he comes back to now exercise his right to trial, now they're going to stack more charges on top of it. It's just, it's just, it's not right. It's not right. 98% of federal cases never see a court, never see a trial, never see a jury. 98% are pled out. Why? Because they've discovered this tactic, which has only been around for about the last 30 years, where they literally would plead that they would plead the things down. Guy gets busted for one or two things, right? One or two connected charges on something. They bring him in, and then they start stacking the charges. 
12, 13, 14, 15. They find every law on the books that they can find and put it and charge these people with it. And then they say, okay, so here's the deal. Combined, these total of 27 charges could put you in jail for the next 46 years. And we'll offer you five years. Um, you know, you plea out, we'll give you only five years. You'll be out in five or three and a half or whatever, and just do it. But if you do go to court, if we win on even one of these charges, you'll get 10 years minimum. No, so, I mean, it's it, it, it totally abrogates your right to a fair trial when they are stacking everything. But it also shows you how enormous uh, and how many laws are in this country when they can find so many different things to charge. They could charge you with the same thing in two different areas and two different pieces of code. And it's, I mean, that's almost like double jeopardy, right? Uh, even right there getting charged twice for the same thing. And then they don't even, they're not going to let you serve all these things, uh, you know, concurrently. It's going to be consecutively. So anyway, uh, Jacob Solomon's got an excellent article talking about that specifically as well. Um, and I posted that link up in the chat room. Just go to reason.com and <clears throat> you can read it and see what's there. Um, there's so, so many different, uh, you know, so many different things. Uh, one final story before we go. Um, there's a defendant in Virginia. I don't know if you saw this. But a guy uh, who was a DoorDash driver was um, was was pranked or targeted by a prankster, a YouTube prankster, who I've never understood these YouTube channels where the guys go up and they, you know, intimidate people on camera. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's apparently for laughs. The problem is, is that you're going to fool around and find out with the wrong person. And this is what happened. Uh, a man, a, t a, a, a YouTuber, approached this DoorDash driver as he was picking up food in a local mall. Uh, the, the YouTuber is like six foot tall, six and a half feet tall, like 300, 250 pounds. This guy was huge. And he gets right up in the driver's face with his camera and he says, you know, he's saying just the weirdest, most off the wall things. Like, don't look at me. Don't look at my sparkle. And I mean, all this kind of weird stuff. The driver kept telling him to back off, back off, and he eventually didn't do it. So the driver shot him in self-defense. He's been acquitted of that, but weirdly, he's been charged with discharging a firearm in a public building. I mean, I this whole story is just weird. We'll talk about that later. We got to go. Willie Waffles coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Yeah, this this whole story is so weird. I, I don't know if you've ever seen these kind of videos. Um, I mean, I've seen them on Facebook, and I mean, I immediately flip past them because, I mean, why? So here's the story. On April 2nd, a shooting in a food court in a Dulles Tower Center about 45 miles west of the nation's capital set off panic as shoppers fled what they feared was a mass shooting. Um, the driver, named Coyley, pleaded not guilty and said he was acting in self-defense. The verdict came Thursday after five hours of deliber deliberation. Um, the, the jury sent out a note saying that, that basically um, the, the, they came back with a verdict and said it was self-defense. So basically what happened was during, um, during, the, uh, during this altercation, 
the DoorDash driver felt menaced by the six foot five inch uh, YouTuber named Cook during a confrontation, which was designed to provoke a reaction and draw viewers to his YouTube channel. Tanner Cook, uh, he said, is trying to confuse people to post videos. He's not worried about that he's scaring people. He keeps doing this. Jurors saw the uh, video of the shooting, which captures the confrontation between Cook and Coily, and lasting less than 30 seconds. The footage shows Cook approaching Coily as he picks up a food order. He's a DoorDash driver. Cook looms over Coily while holding a cell phone about six inches from Coily's face. The phone broadcasts the phrase, hey, dip, dip stuff, quit thinking about my twinkle. Multiple times. That's what he keeps saying. Multiple times. In the video, Coily says stop three different times and tries to back away from Cook, who continues to be in his face and hold this camera and say nonsensical things. Coily then tries to knock the phone away from his face before pulling out his handgun and shooting Cook in the lower chest. There's no pause between the moment he draws the weapon and fires the shot. No, but because of the time you tried, you decided to draw the weapon, there is no time for hesitation. I mean, I'm a big guy, but if some guy who's six foot five has got a camera in my face and is approaching, and every time I try and retreat and back up, he's doing it. Yes, I'm sorry. That's kind of what's going to happen. Um, and so anyway, they 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 came back on his side and said, "Yeah, you are." You are a, uh, that was self-defense. But at the same time, they, they, he's being punished for firing a weapon in a public, what, how what was it? Um, I, I'm looking for the actual, uh, they justified the use of deadly force, but then they went ahead and punished him for, um, discharging a firearm in a public place and that's weird discharging a firearm within a building is what they're calling it so it's kind of this mixed message of oh yeah you were defending yourself and everything else which you would think would then discharge those other charges of you fired a gun in a building well yeah because i was defending myself it's a weird story i'm going to post it up here you can you can take a look at it and read for read about it for yourself but this is, again, just another one of those big things that's like um, F-A-F-O, right? Fool around and find out. You, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna post up on some guy um, that is not going to take your BS. You're going to post up on some guy uh, with your YouTube or your Twitch channel or your stream or whatever. You're harassing people, and you're going you're gonna to bump up against the wrong person. And when you do... This just happened. You, I was talking about the YouTuber Decoy Voice, which is, he's one of my new favorite YouTubers, Decoy Voice, and he does these little snippet five, eight-minute videos. They're just they're great because they're concise and they're they're great, lighthearted. He's got a great sense of humor, but he just he just documented a YouTuber who is in Japan, an American uh, kid uh, in Japan who went around and would harass people for the stream. And especially he would harass the Japanese because the Japanese are unfailingly polite, just unfailingly polite. And he would harass them. Um, and then they caught a video where he was harassing some American tourist and the guy just cleaned his clock, just like pow, clocked him, beat him down, beat his buddy down. 
And you think he would have learned his lesson, but no, like a week later, he trespassed on some Japanese property. Then he got arrested by the police because they don't fool around with that over there. He could be in jail in Japan for three years. This is the thing. Who, what kind of, the notoriety of that kind of stuff. It just, it makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. Anyway, um, Tawny says, oh, this is back to the gluten-free. It's a medical reason for gluten-free. I'm not chastising you, Tawny. I'm just, you know, I have to poke fun at decaffeinated coffee and gluten-free whatever. Uh, and Jeannie says she drinks decaffeinated coffee because otherwise it's the only, she couldn't have coffee. So I agree. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to, chat. You know, you know, I'm just poking fun. Oh, burr. Okay. Um, this is why Americans get a reputation, a reputation as being boorish. Yeah, exactly. These kind of guys, you're not helping us folks. You are not helping us. All right. Uh, I got to change the light over. We're going to get ding. The phone's ringing. Willie's here. Let's get to it. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio. Let's go. Well, you know what that means. It's the weekend. Uh, well, it's the eve of the week, the morning of the week. You know what I mean. It's Friday. Yeah, that's right. And that means Willie Waffle comes in for our entertainment review and all the stuff that's fit to print in the streams and the movies. And hello, my friend. How are you doing? TGIF, baby. TGIF. I know. TGIFF. Um <laughs> Firearms Friday, not something else. If you guys yeah, are the dirty mind, course, that was not what we meant. Uh, filthy, filthy, horrible friends of mine who think like me. Yes, I know exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, well let's get uh, let's get cracking on this. We got a lot of stuff to cover. We got uh, four movies to go over, four streaming and movie things. Plus, we got some stories. So the big news, of course, is the writer strike is over. It's over, people. The writers have gone back to work. So, of course, that brings up the next question. What does that mean for me? What does that mean right. for Joe Public? What does that mean for Jane Public? Well, here's the deal. So it, it's going to be kind of a rolling impact as, as we go through the next few months. Remember, the actors are still on strike. So that, that means you're not going to get any kind of production of movies, any kind of production of fictional television shows. However, starting on Monday... All your late night shows are back. They're going to have their writing staff. They're going to be out there doing their stuff. And they're just not going to be able to have actors who are pro who are promoting movies or television. Right. But as we have seen throughout the strike, there are certain people who are quite nimble in finding ways to be on television that don't uh, don't uh, uh, don't contradict the strike. Like right. Matthew McConaughey, who is right. really just promoting his book, not his acting. Right. You know, the okay. Rock who will be promoting his WWE involvement, not his acting, right. you know, and, right. and so, you know, you'll, you'll see some of them showing up. And I, I think the question is going to be, you know, how hard are the other actors going to be on these people who are skating the rules, bending the rules, skirting the rules a right. little bit. Right. That'll be an interesting thing. Um, next also, you know, a lot of your daytime uh, programming, uh, you know, the view, which has already been in, in production and been on the air, but like the talk, 
which was going to uh, premiere a couple weeks ago and decided against it because of the strike. They're going to come back very, very quickly. The Drew Barrymore show will be back very, very quickly because they were ready to go. And you also have like the Jennifer Hudson show. And so some of your daytime programming is going to be coming back very, very quickly, if not next week, the week after. Then you're going to have all your primetime television shows at least writing scripts. which is what they would have been doing in May, June, and July when they were on strike. So now they'll at least have a bunch of scripts together so when the actors' strike ends, they can start producing television programming. And and then for movies, you know, again, people who have movies in development, they'll be able to start writing those scripts, and they'll start being able to plan forward for when the actors are allowed to start uh, going into production. Right. The big fight, the big fight is going to be who's going to have time to do what? And right. this is the thing that I don't think a lot of people really are, are understanding yet. A guy like The Rock, he might have produced two, he might have done two movies in this time. Well, those two movies are still still like in the pipeline. And the stuff that he planned to start filming in 2024, well, does that get bumped? Does that get priority? Because hey, we gave you a start date and you're available on that start date. Right. I don't care if you miss those other movies. So you're going to have that fight going on and the same fight going on for crews and, 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 you know, things like that, you know, where they, they go from movie to movie production to production, and they've been committed to stuff that didn't happen. How about, you know, we talked about Beetlejuice last week. They only have a day and a half left of, of, uh, of filming. Well, who's going to do it? Are those people already committed to other projects? Do you have to bring in a whole new crew for a day and a half? So those kind of things are going to be battled out. And of course, the big question is when is the when is the actor strike going to be over? I mean, is that in- yeah? And I I don't know. I think the the hope is that the writers uh, the writers guild contract will um, serve as a template for what can be presented to the actors, or at least what what can be uh, spun as, hey, this was good enough for the writers. It should be good enough for you guys. Uh, so. You know, that's going to be the big question. And we don't know right now when the main uh, the main actors for both sides are going to start negotiations again. And and that'll be the telling tale. And who does those negotiations? I, you know, my gut tells me the the, the actor strike might be over by November 1st, but I could be mm. being very, very hopeful. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, good news, I guess, overall. Uh, there's a little smell of I smell that. Smells like desperation. Smells like desperation on the Golden Globes. What the oh, heck yeah. is going on? This is awesome. This is fantastic. I mean, first of all, I just enjoy mocking the Golden Globes because it's just been it's been a dumpster fire for the past several years. And uh, they don't even have like anyone to broadcast their ceremony yet in January. They don't have anyone to stream it in January. And, uh, you know, to get some attention, they've decided to add a brand new category. It's called the Cinematic and Box Office Achievement. You know what that means? Money. I was like, what? <laughs> no, that's right. The movie that made a pile of dough. What's the best one of those? That's right. It will be now a best picture for the best movie that made over $150 million worldwide, of which $100 million must be domestic. And they're going to allow streaming movies to be nominated in the category by coming up with what I can only describe as a cloudy, nebulous uh, reasoning of commensurate digital streaming viewership recognized by trusted industry sources. (laughs) Wow, that is nebulous. Yeah, I don't know what that means, man. Yeah. So, but this is funny because the Oscars 
a few years ago, maybe if it was like five years ago, wanted to do the same thing and got laughed out of Hollywood, you know, because they just wanted to do this. It was going to be a very similar thing. It was going to be like, you know, achievement in box office or something. And so, you know, the movie that made a ton of money would get an Oscar. In this case, now you're going to get a Golden Globe. So you'll have a best picture, uh, you know, comedy or musical. You'll have a best picture drama. And now you'll have a best picture moolah. <laughs> and nobody's still going to watch it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. No, because it's yeah. not going to be anywhere to watch. Yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> All right, one final thing. Taylor Swift going worldwide. Uh, we talked about this. This is like the biggest tour in the history of the world. Now she's reduced, She's producing a movie based on the concert, and they're saying this thing is going to make some dollars. That's right. The world's number one football fan, Taylor Swift, is going to be, uh, you know, releasing her big concert film. You know, we knew it was going to be in North America on October 13th. It will now be worldwide in over 100 markets. It's going to put it in 7,500 cinemas on opening weekend. Now, right now, the projections are for an opening weekend anywhere from 75 million to up to 125 million. And that's kind of just domestic. Yeah. Oh, man. That's so so, much money. Yeah. So just for comparison, okay, because this is how we're going to understand how how big this is. Barbie opened at $155 million domestically in the middle of summer when everybody was available. Right. And did $337 million worldwide. Now, when it comes to concert films, Justin Bieber has the number one concert film opening of all time. His Never Say Never uh, movie, concert movie, came in at $73 million for its opening weekend, while Michael Jackson's This Is It movie, which was like the big movie that opened up after he passed away, came in at $72.1 million, just missing by a little bit. Okay, so we're thinking she's going to blow them out of the water. She's uh, going to blow everybody yeah, out of the yeah. water. I think that 125 domestically, I, I'm telling you, it's low. I think it might be even more. Yeah, yeah. it's low. I really yeah. think it's going to be more. I think it's going to be more because 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 people are going to see this thing two and three and four times, and uh, I think it's going to just clean up. I mean, the the cult of of Taylor Swift is coming out, and they're going to support their gal. God, I wish I had just a fraction of her money. I'd give all my. I away. know, right? I know. It's just did, crazy. Did you see? Just because she went to the Kansas City Chiefs game to root on her whatever, Travis Kelsey, boyfriend, beard, whatever you want to call it. His jersey sales netted him like a few million this week because all the Swifties started buying Oh, man. (laughs) Crazy. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about uh, the movies real quick. We've only got about uh, five minutes. uh, So pick and choose here, buddy. I don't think Paw Patrol, I really don't care. It's a, you know, kid's movie. Uh, Let's let's, go ahead. I'm going to say Dumb Money, I think, is is an interesting movie. Uh, You know, this is kind of based on the true story of of a young YouTube uh, guy. He made himself a a personality by talking about, you know, stocks and investing and, and, you know, trying to educate people about what to look for in stocks. And he started buying into the GameStop stock, which, you know, people were laughing about. But then other people started believing him. Other people started buying the stock as well. And all these individual investors started making tons of money. And it was killing the hedge funds who were betting on the fact that GameStop would continue to fail. And and this is kind of like that battle between the the Goliath and then the David here. And, uh, you know, I I think it's an interesting story. I mean, I really like the story a lot. 
Yeah, it gets it, it can get a little bit complicated. Maybe it needs to get more complicated to understand the financial forces at at at, at play here. But it, it does become a lot about the stories, you know. Uh, America Ferrera, who's great as this nurse, who's just like trying to make some extra money to to pay for her kids, you know. Uh, you got this guy Anthony Ramos uh, playing a guy who actually works retail. And, you know, is just sick of the way he's treated because people just don't treat people in retail very well. And he wants to make a ton of money to walk out, you know, and, and just kind of seeing these stories and seeing that that belief and that hope, I think, is the best part of the movie. I'm at three waffles for yeah. dumb money. This is the whole Robin Hood thing. I mean, that's what this is all about. The whole. Yes. You know, yeah. Yes. Which, <clears throat> damn, I and wish. And Wall I, Street bets and yeah, all of that. I wish yep. I wish I'd been reading Reddit at that point. I mean, I may have thrown. A I few, know, right? May have thrown a few bucks at it. All right, we got Saw X and the Creator. What are we doing? Yeah, so that would be so. so that's your Roman numerals at play. That would be X, Saw. Yeah, Saw 10. Ten. Yeah, Saw yes. Ten. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, this is just it's it's a prequel in the sense that it's set between the 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 events of Saw One and Saw Two. When Jigsaw the Killer goes to Mexico because he hears of a miraculous cure for his cancer. <gasps> but it's a scam. <laughs> and now he wants revenge on everybody. Yeah, you don't you don't want yeah. to scam Jigsaw. That's not a good idea. No, you don't. And and, and, and in some sense it's kind of nice to see him getting revenge on these people because they deserve it. You know, but th this movie's nothing more than let's watch all the ways you can torture somebody. And, you know, that's not my bag. I'm at one and a half waffles for Saw 10. One and a half waffles. Yeah, again, I, I'm, and I'm yep. not and I'm not watching Saw 1 through 9 to get to that. In fact, I'm not watching Saw 10 either, so it's, it's <laughs> there's all. It's yeah, all. There's, there's, there's not a lot you're missing. You're, there's yeah. no the other Saw movies. <laughs> yeah, it's not my kind of horror. I like the I like the spooky Guillermo del Toro type horror, not the uh, not the chainsaws and, and things like that. So. Um, okay, yeah. this is one I've been interested in. The creator, uh, it looks kind of cool. Tell me, give me the the details here. I think it's kind of cool. Maybe just falls a little bit short. So it, it's a futuristic sci-fi movie. It's like set in 2065. There's basically a war that's broken out between artificial intelligence and and human beings. And uh, John David Washington has been cajoled into finding this artificial little girl who could be artificial intelligence's new biggest weapon the weapon that could destroy humanity as we know it and now he's trying to bring it back to, to all the military people that he's working for but he's starting to think about things as they're traveling across the countryside as they're they're, they're hiding in the cities trying to figure out is he really doing the right thing is this really going to be the end of humanity or could it be something better and that is interesting and i think the fact that it doesn't look fake is really cool like you know yeah there's cgi in the movie don't get me wrong but they, they actually went around the world in a lot of these locations and shot the scenes and put in the CGI later. So it has more of a real feel to it right. that I think a lot of other, you know, big sci-fi movies have. I, I just think that, you know, you know, it, I just feel like it tries to go for the sappy ending. It it, it tries to go for kind of something that, that's, that's a little bit more predictable. I'm at two waffles for the creator. I think it's almost there. Almost good or almost great, I guess. Three is great. Uh Eight, four is excellent so two is good it's almost great um i saw the rushes and the and the trailers that i saw you're right the the cgi looks very realistic i was very impressed with the level of uh detail and how it really looked lifelike especially the shots of the little girl that was pretty when you oh, see yeah you see that first reveal and it's like whoa <laughs> what what is going yeah. on yeah 
you know, frankly, I think if it was trying to do less, it might have been better. Like, you know, it, it, it wants to kind of be a tearjerker. It wants to be an action film. It wants to kind of be trendy or topical with the whole discussion of artificial intelligence. I mean, like, it just wants to be everything. And sometimes you just got to kind of pick your lane. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, again, I love me a good sci-fi movie, and this one looked like it would be... What was the other one with Anthony Mackie? No, not Anthony. Yeah, Anthony Mackie, the guy who plays uh, Falcon. He was he did one. Oh that was like, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember, but I know I know what you're yeah. talking about. And that one was good, but at the end you're like, mm, meh. It was you know, it was good. To, <laughs> it was good till about three quarters of the way through it, and then you're like, oh man, so disappointing. But it's okay. I'll still give it a shot. So that's the creator. Two waffles, a Willy Waffle, WaffleMovie.com. Next week. We're going to be back with something good. We got anything good next week? Well, you know, you've got the Exorcist movie, but I think the thing I'm more excited about, Loki season two. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'm going to watch Ahsoka maybe this week. So we'll we'll see what that, maybe we'll have some more talk about that. All right, Willie, thank you so much, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. Uh, folks, we're out of time. Be kind, love one another, live well. Yeah, Loki season two, definitely. Um, the uh, Ahsoka series is finally, all the episodes are out now. And so I'm going to get a yeah. chance to watch it. Did you, Have you watched it yet or are you kind of? I, I've got to get back into it. I saw the first few episodes when we talked about it and then kind of, you know, life got in the way. And and I feel like I need to get caught up on that one because I've heard lots of really good stuff about, you know, how it developed and where it went. And, you know, yeah, I probably need to check that out. But. I'm I'm excited about Loki, and, and in two weeks from now, uh, the new Flanagan, uh, you know, horror creepy. Oh yeah, creepy the series, uh, the the fall of the house fall of, of Usher, fall right? of the house of Usher. Yeah, which I just yep. my wife which, made, my wife just made me watch the trailer, and mm -hmm. she's just giddy with excitement. We both love. Yeah, me too. <laughs> house House on Haunted Hill and the Bly Manor. I mean, those were amazing. The the Midnight Mass was also amazing. All of those Midnight Mass was my favorite of the three. Oh, yeah, they're all so good. He is such an artist when it comes to that kind of stuff, and uh, I just can't wait to see. I saw the trailer and I was like, oh wow, that looks amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, that's going to be coming soon. Uh, but well, well, we'll see. There'll be plenty of stuff to watch. I think we're gonna we'll we'll get back into it. So, all right, Willie. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. We will see you next week. Then I will be here, even if I'm scared of The Exorcist. Yeah, no. I if your head spins around, we're done. Okay, I'm just saying right now. No, <laughs> no split. Suddenly. Yeah, no split pea soup for me. I'm just yuck, <laughs> yuck. All right, my friend, thanks for coming on board. Folks, out of time. We got to go. We'll see you on Monday. Aaron Gibson is our guest for sure, and hopefully one other. We'll see you then.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.